Good afternoon and welcome to your Richie Allen Show. How are you? It is Wednesday, it's 5 o'clock, the 19th of October 2022. I will be taking your phone calls and your Skypes in around about 20 minutes' time. I look forward to those. The details, well, how to contact me, all of that information is on richieallen.co.uk. It's also on the Facebook page as well. So do get in touch with me. I look forward to it. If you've never done it before, please consider doing it. I'm quite polite, you know. I'm quite the gentleman, you know, when it comes to taking calls. So do give me a shout. It should be fun. Welcome, as I said already, to Wednesday's programme. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. And of course, if you would prefer not to talk to me live on air, you can leave a message to me, for me, at richieallen.co.uk. Comment live, please do that. If you wouldn't, if you prefer not to come on air like and you didn't want to talk to me like, you know... So you can do that on the website, richieallen.co.uk. Yes, it's been a, well, it's been, it's every single day is an interesting day. Every single day brings something new, doesn't it? So for the next 15, 20 minutes, just a quick run down through some of the more interesting stories, at least as far as I found them today. Your thoughts on those as well, of course. And when we, I do open the phone lines, I will ask you not to tell me your life story. I don't want to hear your life story. No life stories. No Scale fodder. No long stories, please. Fast approaching two minutes past five. Yeah, no long stories. Now, if you don't happen to be on the website, if you don't happen to be on Facebook, here are the details. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Those are the details, the details, those are. Okay. Where will we start today? We did, I did, spend a bit of time yesterday on climate change, the climate crisis. We're all going to die by 2050 if we don't, well, stop living. <laughs> you are going to die in the near future if you don't commit to cease to live, ceasing to live, cease to live, stop living, stop enjoying yourself, freeze, don't eat anything you like, don't go anywhere, miserable existence. Here's an interesting thing. The Gallup, that's G-A-L-L-U-P, World Risk Poll, is something which has been going on for a few years now. And it interviews people about risks, climate risks and climate crisis and stuff. And they've interviewed 125,000 people in 121 countries. Yes, more than 125,000 people in 121 countries. And they found that 20%, excuse me, let me just start again. They found that less than half of those surveyed, so less than half, are remotely concerned about climate Armageddon. Less than half. They're not interested people. Or at least most people are not interested. Included in the poll or included in the findings where is the statistics that 20% of people in China do not believe 
climate change to be a threat to humanity. Now, there will be those who would say, well, China, it's a very controlled state. They control what people see, what they hear, what they say. Maybe. This in The Guardian today, don't shoot me. I read all of the papers. Regions facing the highest ecological threats are on average the least concerned about climate change, with only 27.4% of those in the Middle East and North Africa and 39.1% of those in South Asia concerned about the risks. Interesting. Just over a quarter of those in the Middle East and North Africa and nearly 40% of those in South Asia are not really bothered about the threat of anthropogenic climate change. Did I say that right? I hope so. Hope I did. Um, regions facing the highest ecological threats are the least concerned. That's the thing. I have a theory. Don't you always have a theory, you big gammon? I do. And mine is pretty simplistic and is not in any way based on scientific reasoning. It's just my theory. And it is that people in these regions are not thick Mick. They're not stupid, Cupid. They know that where they live, their areas, their homelands, have had weird weird and extreme and bizarre weather systems, which in turn led to drought and to famine ever since Moses was running around playing conkers in short trousers. They know this, you know. The weird, not weird is a bad word, but bizarre and extreme weather systems existed in Africa and in Asia long before let's say, the Industrial Revolution. I've written briefly about this today because I wanted to plug a book by a man called Professor Ian Plymer. It's a book called Green Murder, which I have read and I'm reading again. It's terrific. His credentials are above reproach. Check the book out. I get nothing for that. This isn't an infomercial. Not in cahoots with Professor Plymer. I don't know the man. But um, the book is terrific and it is fact-based and nothing contained within can be can be disproved by any scientist or by any layperson in the world. Do check it out. Um, wrote about this today as well. Uh, what happened there? Oh, yeah, I see what happened there. Yeah, yeah. Let me just let me just do that. Let me just stop that. Um, what 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 was I going to say to you? Um, cost of living. Yes, yes. So if you are, you know, paying attention to your, your news bulletins and your newspapers, you will know that a survey commissioned by the TUC, that's the Trades Union Congress, has found around one in seven people in work in the UK are skipping meals because of the rising cost of living. Skipping meals. Right, that's 14%, I reckon. One in seven. Now, the findings prompted the TUC to claim that the UK is facing Victorian levels of poverty. Think Hunger Games Society. So they polled 10,000 adults. It came back that one in seven are either skipping meals or going without food at certain times, which is the same thing, is it? More or less. Across 47 parliamentary constituencies, the number rises to one in five or 20%. Imagine, one in five working people in 47 constituencies saying, yes, we are skipping meals or going without food at certain times. It found in the survey that the proportion of people across the UK skipping meals is the same for people in work and people out of work. Victorian 
levels of poverty. And I was listening to BBC Radio 5 Live this morning. And I think the BBC in general was in Sunderland today. I think they did um, one of these question, one of these, ah, Richie, they gathered some people in a theatre. They stuck Nicky Campbell in front of them and they got some politicians and they, they had a forum about the cost of living crisis. And because they were in Sunderland, they spoke to a group of people who have set up more than 50 warming centres or warm spaces. And these are places that you can go to keep warm at different times during the day if you can't afford to heat your own house. Over 50 of them, or your own flat, or your apartment, or whatever, in Sunderland. What do you make of that? What do you think of that? Um, do you think that's about right? Do you, do, you, do you think that's true? Do you believe this stuff? I can believe it. I can believe it. And cycling is on the increase in this country as well. The exponential rise in petrol and diesel prices... I don't know what it is now. It's been about two weeks since I put diesel into the car. I think it was 186 then. Is it 186 now? Has it gone up again? Has it gone down? It doesn't often go down, does it? So we'll say it's about 186, 185. I think it peaked at 199 earlier in the summer. Um, but this has led to a dramatic increase in cycling, apparently. Again, it's a survey. Okay. Who did the survey? Let me have a look. Can I tell you who did the survey? I think Cycling UK did it. Can we believe that then? Maybe we can believe it. Anyway, uh, new data says that in the past four months, cycling levels are more than half. Uh, they've increased by 54% than before COVID and 11% up on the same period in 2020. Now, the Times has been all over this. Their transport correspondent, Ben Clatworthy, uh, he says the boom has been due in part to Britons using their cars less as fuel prices rise after the Ukraine invasion. The surge in people cycling since March, particularly midweek, corresponds with rising fuel costs. That's according to Sarah Mitchell of Cycling UK. Um, they go on to say that fuel prices broke records this summer, 199 as I said. And transport experts, whoever they are, believe that a rise in the number of Britons offloading second cars which they might have used for short trips, has contributed to the surge in the number of cyclists. And you don't have to be Inspector Gadget or, or even Lieutenant Columbo to understand that it won't be too long before climate evangelicals and the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, comes out with a report which claims that all of this is really, 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 really rather good for the planet. Okay? You might say... This is all very convenient. Do we believe in convenience and coincidence? Maybe we do. I don't know. The Russian President Vladimir Putin has declared martial law in four regions of Ukraine that he claims and the Kremlin claims uh, as part of its territory. So that's being reported today and at the same time they are reporting that Russia's army is on the retreat in eastern Ukraine. In a meeting with his National Security Council, Vladimir Putin said the order, the martial law order, would apply to the Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson and Zaporizhia regions. None of them are fully controlled by Russia and apparently Ukraine is mounting a counter-offensive in the Kherson region. We don't see an awful lot of footage of combat from Ukraine and that has led to some people in the independent media in the independent media, um, 
making comments that there is no war, that nothing is happening at all. Some people, some of them are raving idiots, but some of them are not. They're people I know, and they're saying, I don't think anything is going on there, because we don't really see combat footage. And even if you did see combat footage, it could be anything really, couldn't it? You could just get a tank, or one of those mortar things. What fires mortars? What is it? One of these things that shells. What do they call that? I'm glad I don't know. I'm not into my military hardware. So they could just set one of those up, couldn't they? And just fire stuff and shout and scream and bowl and tell you that they're firing on Russian positions or vice versa and you'd have to take it or leave it. I really don't know. I'm not saying anything, but I'm open-minded. I'm open-minded. My mind is wide open, so it is. So that's the news on Ukraine. Putin is saying martial law for the areas we have annexed and the media is saying that his forces are on the run in that particular area. Those areas, I should say. What's going on? What does martial law mean? Well, uh, it allows Vladimir Putin to close borders, take property from people and to carry out compulsory mobilisation into the army. But Dmitry Peshkov, the Kremlin spokesman, said... They wouldn't close the borders of the four regions for the time being. That's according to the Times newspaper this afternoon. It's 14 minutes, so it is past the hour. And before I read a couple of emails, and before I make a correction, it's good. I like to be corrected. Got to be corrected sometimes. So I'm going to make a correction in a moment. I said something rather foolish the other day. What do you mean? I, I know, I know. It's a regular occurrence, but I said something Definitive, absolutely blank wrong, totally wrong. So I've got to clear all that up in a moment. Before I do that, though, another story which caught my eye today, reported mostly in the Irish press. I suppose we'll hear about it here in the UK tomorrow. In the UK, they are preoccupied with the situation concerning the current Prime Minister, Liz Truss, who faced off with Keir Starmer at Prime Minister's questions today. By the way, the home... No, no, what, what is she? Hang on, let me let me just... Uh, yes, the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has just resigned. Look, none of this means anything, but I'm just going to tell you anyway, this is the news roundup, right? This, um, it's not been a great day, if you believe this. If you believe it, it's not been a great day for the Prime Minister. Uh, rather embarrassing Prime Minister's questions, where she was roundly ridiculed, by three quarters of the chamber there for still being in a job. Suella Braverman has resigned as Home Secretary. Earlier today, Truss fired one of her closest aides because she found out that he was briefing against Sajid Javid to the press. What does that mean? Well, one of Truss's closest aides, right, advisors, was going to the press and telling them stories about Sajid Javid, the former Home Secretary. And I think he had the Chancellor job as well. Excuse me. Javid was Health Secretary, wasn't he, most recently? Or was he Chancellor too? And apparently, this guy, fired today, was going to the Sunday papers and saying, Liz Truss thinks Sajid Javid is a bit shit. That's a quote, by the way. So so he's gone. So whether Braverman has resigned. And a number of Tory MPs have sent letters to the 1922 committee and Sir Graham Brady expressing no confidence whatsoever in the beleaguered Liz Truss. And this is important, it's doom and gloom, I hate it, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. UK food prices are rising at their fastest rate in 42 years. 
as the cost of living crisis continues to squeeze budgets, household budgets. This is Laura Jones, that's L-O-R-A, writing for the BBC website. Food costs jumped around 14.6% in the year to September. So from January to September, the biggest rise since 1980. Bread, cereal, meat and dairy prices are all rising. And every news programme I heard today featured men and women, they appeared to be genuine, in work, who up until 2022, despite the COVID nonsense, but up until the beginning of this year, were managing to manage we're getting by. But because of this cost of living crisis, blamed, of course, on the situation in Ukraine, we are hearing all the time from people on the telly, they can't all be liars, who are saying, I'm broke, I am now going to food banks, not for my, for the entirety of my weekly food, but for some of it because of the cost of groceries in supermarkets. I have said this several times, I have seen this myself getting a basket of basics in a local supermarket. Just a basket. Picture a shopping basket, not a shopping trolley or a shopping cart, as the Yanks say, but a basket. Going to the checkout and them saying 50 quid or 52 quid and my mouse hitting the floor with an audible thump. You what now? Yes, 52 quid. The same basket used to be about 30. Yeah. It's real. And finally, on the World Health Organization, it has declared that COVID-19 is still a global health emergency. It still never was, but it still is. And um, it said the, the, the WHO that in recent months, cases are falling in parts of the world. Countries still need to be vigilant and push to get their most vulnerable population vaccinated. So the committee at the World Health Organization on COVID-19 is saying, listen, it is still a global health emergency. It isn't going away. And I reckon, and I reckon you reckon, this is fear ramping up just in time for winter when already in some parts of the world, including not too far from here, they're asking people to wear masks and whatnot. The Irish Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has urged the public there to wear masks on the trains and on the buses and in taxis, even though he says it isn't mandatory. But if you give it a few weeks, it will be. Now, I'll be taking your phone calls and Skypes in a few minutes' time. If you've never got in touch with me before, please consider doing it. I'll ask you, let's have a bit of a chat, but be brief. I do not want a life story. Not today, please. If um, you don't know the details, uh, the contact details by now, here they are again. Let me give you again. Let me give you them again, if I can bring them up. Uh, they're also on the website, richieallen.co.uk. And, of course, they are on the Facebook page. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. 
cold, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases. We all get them. Never before have your body's defenses been under such constant attack. Now more than ever, it's essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Immunex 365 has been specifically formulated to maximize the effect of each ingredient, giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show can use their special 15% discount code RICHIEALLEN365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. Now with two-day track delivery free. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Right, welcome back. I want to hear your calls. I've given you the contact details now. Get in touch any time between now and around about 6.30 or thereafter. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Let's have a chat. I'll give you the jingles again in a couple of minutes just in case. Uh, in the meantime, let's have some music from The Clash. From The Clash, from London Calling. Or London's Calling. Jesus, Richie. London Calling, yeah. This is clamped down. This might be apt considering the circumstances. Music from The Clash, clamped down. 23 minutes past five. This Wednesday, the 19th of October, 2022. How are you doing, by the way? Lots happening, lots of calls coming in. We're going to go straight to Steve. Hello, Steve. How are you, pal? Are you well? How are you doing, Richie? Yeah, fine. How are you? I'm great, pal. You're the first up. I'm delighted to be chatting with you. Thanks, by the way, for the email the other day about Tony Blair and the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change and the One Shot Programme. Thanks for that, Steve. I miss that completely. It That speaks for itself. I can't add anything to that. A future where you will be expected or asked or coerced into taking regular vaccinations for all manner of illnesses. What do you think of that? If that's what you wanted to talk about, by the way, you can talk about whatever you like. Yeah, a bit on that and a bit on a few other stuff that we've been getting up to. Um, yeah, one thing you didn't cover on that yesterday, I did a bit of a deep dive into the documents um, and what they're actually proposing is um, an adult vaccination programme. So just like they've got a, a children's vaccination programme, they're planning on doing it for adults and they're also doing it all across the world because uh, deep in those documents as well, they talk about... Um, investing in the global south because they realized there wasn't such a big vaccine uptake uh, you know down in latin america in certain parts of africa so they're actually encouraging governments all around the world along with these public private partnerships you know with these global corporations to invest heavily in um kind of vaccine um infrastructure yeah. all around the world, particularly down in the global south. Hey, you're right. You're right to bring that up. And shamefully, I did notice that bit about the adult vaccination programme, but I didn't get into it yesterday. That's pretty spooky. Do we think, this is speculation, of course. I mean, please God, we might we might be wrong. We don't think we will be wrong. But will this be tied into you, you know, your ability to do things? Will it be tied into you being a good citizen? It's got to be, hasn't it? It really has, and it's really frightening. Um, I'm trying to 
de-digitalize my life at the moment. Um, my iPhone is nearly packed in and I don't want to buy a new one. Um, and I'm just trying to do some of the basic things that I've never done. Uh, sorry, that I do every day. Yeah. Um, and you can't. I, I can't even get access to my gym without even getting on my iPhone and, you know, booking a class. So it's everything is becoming digital and it's kind of frightening it really is yeah incredible to think that not just you know pubs and clubs and sports grounds but gyms might become inaccessible if you don't have the phone i'm going to a game of football later on this evening Uh, i don't mind admitting this my ticket is on the phone it's in a wallet on the phone there is no paper tickets well there is i i could have downloaded a pdf and printed it, but I don't have a printer at the moment. So I will use the electronic ticket tonight. I don't like it. I prefer to use the paper ticket. Yeah, pretty soon. But I did see something really positive today. The BBC were in Sunderland, as I mentioned earlier, and they went to a market. And one of the market stall um, owners told the reporter that they're seeing a big, big uptake in, in people using cash. Because even, even in the markets, you can, you can use your, your, your card. You can go contactless even in the markets. But the market traders are saying people are using cash because they're really nervous about overspending. So they're going to the machines, withdrawing the cash so that they know how much they can spend. And I think that's a positive thing. Yeah, um, we are absolutely encouraging that. I mean, my wife and I have become um, activists over the last two and a half years. um, And we kind of like, we dip into two different kind of worlds now. We're in this world where we've built this fantastic community um, of people that are awake to what's going on. Um, But like I said earlier, if if we go to the gym, we kind of like visiting normie world. But when I actually go into, as we call normie world, um i keep mentioning to people about things particularly the cash and they don't really understand it now um what we've actually done um we've got these kind of 20 pound notes which we've actually printed off but they're only like a quarter of a 20 pound note so when you fold it over it looks like a 20 pound note it's it's not got the queen's head on, so I don't think we're doing anything illegal. <laughs> but we fold it up and put it on the floor. And then when somebody grabs it, thinking it's a £20 note, they open it and it says, don't be fooled, keep cash alive. Fantastic. So I- you're annoying the bejesus out of people, but then you're educating <laughs> them. I like it, Steve. That's a good approach. Pretty much, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I think, the least that we can do, you know. Um, I mean, we're... We're waking up people. I'm telling them, you know, what's going to happen if they bring in these digital, these central bank digital currencies. I mean, right at the beginning of the COVID era, um, I said to people straight away, I said, you know what the end game is? They're going to microchip us um, and they're going to put a microchip in the back of our hand and we're going to be controlled by technology. And I was laughed out of the Yeah, you're a madman, of course. Yeah, sure. No, but you must be mad to be saying stuff like that. And yet it's there. The technology is there. And only four or five years ago, we saw American workers accepting a chip in their hand, I think, to make it easier for them to use the vending machine. So it's not as if it's new, this stuff about chipping people in the hand. It's been there already. It's been there for years, Steve. But you're wasting your time telling people. 
Yeah, absolutely. But, they, you know, I mean, a lot of them, when I mention it to them, they talk about Sweden and it happened over over there with people getting access to vending machines and through doors at work. But um, two and a half years later now, outside the gym where they kind of laugh me out of for talking about this technology, they've just erected a huge 5G tower. So I go up to them and say, you see that over there? Remember when you laughed at me? I said, what do you think that's there for? I said, do you think it's there so you can download Netflix yeah. quicker? And they're like, yeah, of course. And I'm at it, no, 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 no. That's there to track, trace, control every single move you make. Every single move you make, yeah. There are two in my vicinity, not too close. One is about 750 metres away, so nearly a kilometre away. And the other one is near a school. Uh, didn't um, one of our guests, my mind is, is, is all over the place this week. I'll get there in the end. But didn't a guest sometime in June or July say there's a specific reason why they put these things near schools and hospitals? It was oh, a credible guess, yeah. Yeah, I do recall something yeah. about that. I can't remember the actual details. Yeah, I think the general theory was it's to impact on the the health, negatively impact on the health of children and also to, well, to do the same for people recovering in hospitals. It's, again, it's a stretch for, for a lot of people. I understand that, but it's... Um, you know, it's a theory I think worth exploring. Before I move on and take some other calls, Steve, is there something else you'd like to say? Because I'm looking at about 15 calls in the queue there. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, no, just basically keep what you're doing. I mean, we, we're from Stockport. We've got a massive um, community that we've built up since this. And I think it's really important, you know, that people... Um, so, sorry, my wife says she's whispering in my ear. Go on, Sue. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt Is it you Sue? <laughs> is it Sue? How are you doing, Sue? Hi, Richie. No, don't. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I mean, I'm still a firm believer that there's an awful lot of people still out there that haven't hooked up with their tribe, as I like to call, or communities that we're building. Um, you know, and for anybody that's out there listening, look us up, Rebels on Roundabouts. We're on Facebook, we're on um, Telegram, and we've got a website, rebelsonroundabouts.com. Great um, idea, great idea. And you idea. can find us all over the country. Uh, you know, this has started um, really, really sort of rolling now and there's a lot of people getting involved. Uh, so anyone who's, you know, looking just to connect with people, like-minded people, please look us up because we'd love to have you on board. Give that website, give those details again there, Sue. So it's rebelsonroundabouts.com. Fantastic. Rebelsonroundabouts.com, yeah. Yeah, and on Telegram it's um, rebelsonroundabouts. Rebels yeah, that's where most most of the um, the activities um, happen, and um, we've created a community up and down the country. Really, uh, it's been fantastic, um, and yeah, p- people come and find us, uh, get together with your local communities. It really does make a difference. Well done, both of you, sincerely. Yeah, I love the rebels on roundabout stuff. Great to talk to you, Steve and Sue. Come back again on the regular Thanks, show and have a chat with us, won't you? What you're doing, pal. Give over. Thanks very much. Love it. Thanks, Steve okay. and Sue in Stockport. Got to meet up with them. They're only around the corner for, for Jeeper's sake. Uh, this is uh, the Richie Allen Show. It's uh, the global, I call this the global phone, and that's a throwback to my days in London. Contact details are on the website. They're also on Facebook. Call via the phone or via Skype. I look forward to hearing from you. Caller, you are live. Welcome. Who am I speaking with? Hi, uh, I'm Wayne from South Wales. Hello, Hi, Wayne. Richie. How are you doing? Nice to hear from you, it's pal. Been a, and to you, it's been a long time. It's, I've loved to have your show back on here. It's, uh, it's a real breath of fresh air, Richie. Always was. You're a um, for and, saying, and Wayne. Actually, the, the strange thing is, I've actually met Sue and Steve just a few weeks ago at um, a Carry On Camping Festival, which was a kind of a Truth Awake festival. Oh, fantastic. And they're, just the lov- and they're just the loveliest people. I was really pleased to hear them on before me. 
Brilliant. So not a, um, not, not, a, not a gathering of Sid, James and Barbara Windsor fans, but actually a gathering of people no. who want to, uh, to to do something about this paradigm. I love the name, Carry On Camping. Anyway, Wayne, go um, ahead. It was just, it was just, it was an amazing festival. Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about um, the people who, um, the TV personalities who pushed the vaccine or, or pushed the jab throughout this, but now have changed their mind. So um, I don't know if you know, you obviously know Charlotte Emma UK from Twitter. She's been doing a great hashtag called Never Forget These People. And where she's been naming people like Jeremy Vine and Dr. Hillary Jones and Tony Blair for their thing, you know, the way they pushed the narrative and called us stupid and that like, we were going to murder our granny. Yeah. But there's some, some presenters have changed their mind, Richie. People like, maybe like Neil Oliver or um, I hate to say his name, James Melville, have all changed their mind. I mean, should they... Should we forgive them, or do you think they might be just controlled opposition and script readers? The answer I is, wondered, what? do you know, my answer would be, you, 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 none of us will ever really know what's in someone's heart. So if these people were previously endorsing the jab, th- th- they might have been doing that because it's something they genuinely believed. And maybe their, um, their transformation, you know, to... to calling out the jab is a genuine one, Wayne. It's a really good question. I don't know that. As for forgiveness, listen, I've made enough mistakes over the years in my yeah. own life, so so I'd forgive anybody. If somebody with a public platform is suggesting that the vaccines are not all they're made, made out to be, I think I'd just be happy they're doing that and I wouldn't want to beat them up. But people are so suspicious these days of everybody. Yeah, of you know, they must, shill, they must be a shill. They must be a shill. Exactly. And you just don't know. I mean, I don't know James Melville. I, I was kicked off Twitter, you know, some time ago. I don't know the guy. I don't and know very, very much. And, and you're very much missed. Well, I don't know about that, but I, I don't I, I don't know who these people are. I might have reached out to that guy and invited him on for an interview. I don't, it, it didn't happen. But I, I would just be positive, I suppose, and say, well, if they are asking genuine questions about the safety of the jabs, let's be happy about that and it might save some lives. What do you think, Wayne? Um, it's a difficult one because people like Jeremy Vine, they'll never, they'll never backtrack. They'll always, um, or they'll, or who is the one that, Piers, Piers uh, Morgan did a, a massive backtrack on Twitter last week about, just, he said he'd only said a few negative things about the vaxxed and then there was hundreds and hundreds of videos. So, uh, of him, well, calling us murderers or calling uh, just calling us absolute idiots for not getting the vaccine. I'm I'm unvaccinated and I will never go anywhere near it. Yeah, but you and the, me both. But they but they convinced that yeah exactly Richie and, and they but they convinced so many people uh, by fear obviously to get this done and yet you know now they've backtracked and, and it's just as though I I can't work out whether they've actually woken I hate the word woken up I'm sorry but woken up to this reality or whether they're just, again, reading from scripts. It's a really difficult one for me, and um, it's difficult to know who to trust. Trust you, of course, Richie, and uh, amongst a few others. But, yeah, I think there's, um, there's definitely a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there, and it's really difficult to wade through it all. I, I appreciate you saying that. My, my approach is to, uh, is to tell the truth and just say this is an opinion. Wow. You know, I, I can't, I, can't yeah. I don't have definitive proof of this or that. And I've always been, I've, I've always found myself drawn to content creators who don't have the answers, but who have questions. And, and yeah. it, th- there's no, you know, I, I kind of concur with what you just said there. Um, the thing that, you're right about the fear element of people getting it. There was also the, I won't say selfish because I don't think it's selfish, 
But I know in my own neighbourhood a number of people who they weren't really moved by the government's fear campaign, Wayne, but they went mm-hmm. they went in early twenty twenty one to get jabbed because they wanted to go to the Canaries in June. Oh yeah, absolutely. And Which is kind of coercion, right? And yeah, exactly. And they never got to. And I think a lot of people after their second jab were hoping to go to um, Marbella or Bas or wherever they were going on holiday. They were they they felt quite duped. Um, some of them felt really invested in in the, the vaccine, so kept on going. But a lot of people after that second jab said no, I think, and then started to question it. And that's fine. But I think a lot. Of, I think there was no there was no neg- there was no opposition to the pro vaccine um, at all. And, and but now there seems to be a little bit more. But as I said, I just don't know whether it's controlled opposition or not. Really interesting point. And if you factor in then that parliamentary committee, I can't remember whether it was in Brussels or Frankfurt, but when the Pfizer executive yeah. acknowledged that Pfizer didn't have any data on whether or not their jab prevented transmission, and yet they claimed and their their puppets in the media claimed that we should all have the jab because it prevents transmission and it will stop us passing it on to granny. I wonder if that's actually gotten through to some people now and they're, you know, spitting feathers. Absolutely exactly. annoyed. You I, know was bit, I was a little sceptical, Richie, of that um, uh, because we never stood the woman that, um, from Pfizer. She was a, a Welsh woman um, who was answering the questions from this Dutch MP. Um, she was actually a real late replacement. I think it was supposed to be uh, Anthony. I can't think of his name. He's the Pfizer chief. He was. <laughs> he was uh, Anthony Bourgeon or something. He was supposed to be answering the questions, but she was a late replacement. And I think I, I, when I listened to that back, I felt like I wanted to listen to the whole speech because I felt like it was out of context. So I wonder whether it was, I'm being maybe oversimplified. No, no, you've got to take everything with a pinch of salt. Maybe for quite a long time. Yeah, maybe the Pfizer guy, the more senior guy, maybe was was tipped off that Rob is it Rob Roos from the Netherlands or or Belgium? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Yeah, maybe maybe they got a tip off that this guy was going to ask a legitimate question and and not just um, you know give them softballs. And maybe in that case he. He sent somebody else in. But then that sounds silly to me because if they had advanced warnings that the question would come up, they, they would have cancelled the thing altogether, wouldn't they? You would, you would yeah, imagine. Exact, exactly. And it, it did trigger a lot of people within the uh, awake, uh, conscious community. We all kind of jumped on that and go, ah, we told you so. But we've heard nothing else since. We've had not heard anybody push back and say, actually, this, this um, it was all that well. I've heard some people say it was taken out of context and and and... And so it, it was a very, I think it was a, um, I think it's a difficult one. I'd, li- I'd like to see the whole, um, the, the whole, con- or whatever, not conference, but the, the, the whole speech and see exactly what the was transcript. said, whether it was out of context, yeah. Yeah, the tra- I reckon the transcript, now you might call me lazy for not doing this, but I just don't have the extra pair of hands, but the transcript will probably be on the website eu.parl, probably. It's like Westminster, if you want to hear the, or, or, or read the transcript of any exchange in the House of Commons. It's all on the UK Gov website, so it will be, presumably, it will be there on the European Union's website. That that'll be worth checking out. Before I do move on, Wayne, regarding the winter, regarding the coming months, what are we now? Nineteenth of October, halfway yeah. through autumn. The World Health Organization says COVID is still a global health emergency. The Irish are being asked to wear masks. Um, deja vu all over again. Do we think that? Well, I wonder. Go on. Actually, what we just what we've just been talking about, actually, Richie. So, if they're telling us all of a sudden that um, the, the vaccine doesn't 
prevent transmission, then all they're going to do is say, well, the one thing that did stop transmission was wearing a face mask. So I wonder yeah, whether this is a yeah. build-up for reintroducing the face masks. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm a different view to a lot of people. I'm, I'm more down the terrain theory view that we don't actually get colds and, you know, flu past transmitted. It comes from within the body. But that's my views, and, and a lot, lot of people share my views. I also don't think that there was ever, I don't think COVID was a thing. I don't believe that actually yeah. COVID was real whatsoever. I think it was a huge publicity campaign and a game of hide and seek that the government were playing because we didn't, we were, we were, they were finding and they were seeking for it while they were trying to play, make us play hide and seek with each other uh, to stop us meeting each other. It was, it was, a, and for me, so it definitely wasn't real. But you you again, might be right opinion. and you might be right. I don't know that you're not right and I'm not patronising you. I, yeah. I, I still go on the basis that I think it did, and I, I only do that for a very personal reason. In January 2020, I genuinely nearly died. And I have had pneumonia. I have weak yeah. lungs. I've never experienced anything like that ever. I now, had very similar to you, Richie, in, in yeah. the Christmas of 2019. Yeah, I know. So but it could I be think... the flu on steroids. It could be the flu on steroids. I might have had some sort of weird walking pneumonia or dry pneumonia. I don't know. But just based on that... Uh, and, and I know they do gain a function research, Wayne. I know, I know these yeah, lunatic yeah. bastards, they, they are always trying to do that. In fact, they're still doing it, aren't they? Didn't I read in the independent newspaper the other day that they're still trying to weaponize the flu, openly doing this in laboratories in America? Not cases. Yeah. So, so look, you might very well be right. It might. The entire thing itself might have been a hoax. I can't prove you're wrong. And I accept that it is an opinion that is held by, by lots of other well, people as well. I was having a conversation um, just a few nights ago about flu and colds. So, uh, so, for instance, my sister, whenever she's got a cold, she says, oh, I've got a terrible flu. And I'm like, no, you've got the flu, you've got a cold. Because there's, there's a rule of thumb. If you've got the flu, you can't get out of bed. If you've got a cold, you can get out of bed. And I know that whatever I had in that 2019, for, three, for two or three days, I couldn't get out of bed and I didn't want, I wasn't physically able to get out of bed. So how many, you've got to ask yourself, how many times in our lives have we really had flu? Yeah, that's a, a real an interesting point. Yeah. As for the terrain thing, I'll be covering that in the next, um, if not the next couple of days, next week, because it's something I'm very interested in. Um, I can't yeah, tell you off, offhand, but somebody who's written a book on it is coming on the show. Somebody who shares um, your point of view. When I'm going to move on, I'm going to give everybody a maximum of 10 minutes today because I'm getting a lot of calls. Really good to hear from you, pal. And for you, Richie, and, and, and welcome back. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Wayne. It's been great to speak to you. Really Bye-bye good now. call, pal. Two great calls, Sue and Steve and, uh, and Wayne there. Shall I give you the contact details before I take the next call? Can I do that? I'm using a completely different system now than previously. What have I done there? <laughs> what have you done there, you crazy baldy gammon? Hang on. What's that? What is that? Ah, it's on. Yeah, I know what it is. <laughs> okay, don't do that again. You've got to bear with me. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Because, you know, it is all kind of new to me still. This mad system and setup I'm using here. Here are the contact details. Come and have a chat with me, your BBG. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And particularly if you haven't spoken with me before, it would be nice to meet you. I mean that. It would be lovely 
uh, to meet you if you want to to get in touch with me. So do that between now and uh, say it for me. Um, around about 6.30 or thereabouts. Good old... Uh, let's have a chat with John in Austin. He's a... To you and me is Scottish, John. Hello, John. Welcome. All right, mate. How, How are you? Are you? I'm 100% great to hear you. Great to hear you. It's been a while, but we're back. I know. Well, just like everyone else is saying, man, it's it's great to have you back because, boy, have you been missed. Wow. You're very kind to say that. You were one of the few who believed me that I would be back. You actually believed it, that I hadn't decided to um, go to Acapulco and spend the rest of my days sunning myself while being attended by fair maidens bringing, bringing me Bacardi and Coke and mince pies and what and whatnot. You believed it. No, it's good, mate. If you'd done that, I'd have come and found you and chewed your bloody <laughs> legs off. You'd have come and bought me uh, a, a whiskey. What? What? Um, it's it's great you coming on from Austin in Texas because our erstwhile friend Alex Jones must be the talk of the town these days. Well, is he? It's it's funny you say that, Richie, because that's the main reason I called in uh, because it's it has been the talk of the town for quite a while now. And I just thought I'd, I'd give you my perspective on it and try and, and uh, sort of give you some information about him that most people wouldn't know. Hey, just now, before you do that, and I am going to shut up and give you the floor and I won't interrupt you, just in case there are one or two listeners who don't know what the blue, bloody hell we're talking about, Infowars.com is the biggest and most successful independent news platform in the world. Um, it has been for some years. It's owned and operated by Alex Jones, um, a larger-than-life uh, television and radio personality. He was very, 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 very strong in his opinion that the Sandy Hook shootings in Connecticut, which saw uh, 17 or more people killed, including a number of children, he was adamant that these things didn't happen and that the parents were crisis actors. Now, he was sued for this, dear listener. He was They sued him for defamation and, and all of that. And a, a jury found against Alex and awarded damages to some of the families, damages near enough $1 billion. A lot of people delighted because they hate Alex. A lot of other people not so happy saying that he should be allowed to air his opinion, that you cannot um, you know, punish someone for saying that which they uh, believe. But here we are. John, over to you. I'm shutting my gob. What do you think? <laughs> All right. Well, I became a fan of his, I think, maybe around about, 2003, 2004. I'd been here about five, six years at that point in time. And uh, I was, you know, I was hoping to, to meet people, uh, sort of like-minded people, and also to help me network for jobs. Um, and uh, I happened upon this guy, Alex Jones, on this thing they called Local Access Television. And, uh, yeah, I kind of liked what he was saying, so started mixing with the people, um, going down to City Hall, complaining about things like fluoride in the water and smart meters. And um, so it came to 2014 when they were having the Scottish independence referendum and he invited me into the studio for an interview. So I went down there and uh, when I arrived at the place, Richie, I couldn't believe it. I thought, bloody hell, where, how do you afford a place like this, man? This looked like top of the range television studio and uh, all I, I just remember him sort of nagging all the time for people to subscribe because he needed the money, needed the money, needed the money and um, get in there and 
did the interview and he got one of his guys to take me over to another part of the, the building. He was he was going to give me a T-shirt and, a, oh, I don't know, a couple of other things. And as we're walking through this place, I'm thinking, bloody hell, there was about 50 people working there. And I'm thinking, how the hell does he pay for this when he's always begging people to subscribe <laughs> to keep the thing on air? Well, hang on now. Maybe he was begging people to subscribe because he had 50 people to pay. Maybe. What do you think? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing there again, Richie, if, you, if you're struggling to pay 50 people, why employ 50 people? Yeah. I suppose he might, say, just... he might say, because I'm ambitious, because I want this to look and sound awesome, and I've got great plans to increase its reach. Look, I'm being devil's advocate. I hear you. Yeah. Well, see, there, then there came this, this rumour about him being connected to the Israeli intelligence people, and they, unbeknownst to me and probably many other people at the time, they actually had premises here in Austin, um, and they they went by the name of Intel, and I I vaguely remember I don't remember too well all the but they moved this this company moved over to Italy, and funnily enough I I was one of a few people through a, an agency here called Goodwill got a few days work going over to this building to help clear it out, and uh, I I just I just thought it really really strange and anyway, back back to that. Um, Back to that interview about the Scottish independence thing. Now, that happened on the Thursday. And on the Monday, the following Monday, Alex didn't host the show. He got his one of his guys, Rob Do, to host the show. And lo and behold, one of the guests was your pal, Lord Moncton. Was he now? Christopher Moncton, yeah. The, uh, one, of the, one of the first things, in fact, probably the first thing out of his mouth was, he referred to Scottish John as a numpty. And I thought, you bastard. Mountain And he, he actually, he accused me of saying something that actually Alex said. Right at the beginning of the interview, Alex said, you know, if, if Scotland win independence, that could be like the first domino to fall in the new world order. That maybe we may be able to bring down the new world order, which I thought was a bit extreme. But Moncton attributed that remark to me. And I thought, you bastard. Well, funnily enough, I get a phone call from Alex's producer. They want me to come back in the next day, the Tuesday. And I say, damn right I will, because I need to rebut that wanker that just called me a numpty. <laughs> so I'm on, the, I'm on the bus going across town, and my phone goes, and it's Alex's producer. John, we've got to cancel you because Alex has got to do this thing on. There was that Ebola outbreak over in, I think it was Sierra Leone Sierra in Africa. Sierra Leone, yeah. And... Uh, so I never got my chance to bloody have a have a pop at Moncton, and I thought to myself, well, I wonder if someday he'll he'll come over to Austin to visit Alex, and I'll suss him out, and I'll get. And then I found out the bastard was six feet six tall. I thought, well, no, that plan's not. <laughs> Moncton is he? Is he really? Yeah. Uh, he could always yeah. pop the eyes out if he said, "Oh no, you can't do that." It's it's already. <laughs> what, 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 what what was it? He, 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 gone then. No, I was going to ask you because because I I think this is hugely important. What do you think of the way Infowars covered the Sandy Hook shootings? And if you like, you might share your own thoughts on the shooting, the shootings and, you know, the, you know, the subsequent claims that it was a government false flag to, 
you know, get public sympathy for gun control. What do you think of the way Alex covered it? I talked about this last week and I tried to be as fair as I possibly could. I don't know, you know, what what what, what I really think about it because I don't have all the facts. But what do you think? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. It's, it's hard to remember how... It, I remember watching the coverage of it and thinking, yeah, that's not right. That's not right. The, the children walking about in and out of a building and then that guy who was laughing, trying to get a smirk off his face before he came up to the microphone to to, to speak. And uh, I think he was the main guy in suing Alex for this. But here, did you know, did you ever see that uh, there was a video produced and it went on YouTube, but it's subsequently been kicked off. And the title of it was Sandy Hook based on Dunblane. Did you ever see that one? No. Well, there were certain similarities. It was that, uh, it was that school shooter that uh, that attacked that school, and I think he killed 19 children and a teacher. And that was actually the school that the tennis player Andy Murray went to. That's right. He was there on the day, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And uh, who who did that? Thomas. I'm thinking Thomas Hamilton, but that doesn't sound right. The the yeah, Tom, the, the, Thomas Hamilton. That was the name of the Dunblane shooter. That yeah. was the shooter, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's a photograph online. And it's it's hard to kind of nail it down because you don't know what year it was taken, but it's a photograph of Prince Charles and Jimmy Savile and this other guy walking along somewhere, and they're all dressed in kilts. And the third guy, he had a slight resemblance to this Thomas Hamilton. And I say that because you don't know what age he was in that photograph. No, there is a he's theory. He's obviously younger. Shall, than shall the, we? Shall we educate the listeners? There, there is a. They might know this. They, they gen, generally know more than I do. There is a theory that the Dunblane school shooting was a, basically a silencing operation. There is a theory that some of the children at this school had been sexually abused by a pedophile ring, and that this guy going into the school to to shoot you know, to shoot up the school or the classroom was to silence the children. That's one theory. I know there are others, but that is one theory, which sounds, you know, to many people that would sound very far-fetched. Again, I don't know, but that theory is out there. But that's very interesting. A picture of Charles, Jimmy Savile, the notorious and record-breaking paedophile, and a guy who might have been this guy, Thomas Hamilton. Yeah. Very interesting. And this guy, Thomas Hamilton, Richie, I've just remembered, listening to what you were saying there, he ran something like a youth club or a boxing club or something that the school children came to. So what you've just said about him being a pedophile <laughs> might well be the case, mate. It's so hard to know. Do you know what we didn't talk about on the programme yesterday, this week? I only came back yesterday, really. But um, a, a court hearing allegations about sexual abuse at a boys' school in Belfast is going to allow testimony about Lord Mountbatten, Prince Philip's uncle and Charles's mentor. Um, it's it. There, there have been many allegations against Mountbatten yeah. over the years that he was that, that he was an abuser of children. For, again, for our listeners who don't know, the IRA blew Mountbatten up off the coast of um of Ireland, off the coast of Cork or Kerry. Again, my mind is. Absolutely all over the place today. And it was again, in Loch Ness, Yes, that's right. That's, thanks, John. And there are those who believe that the IRA didn't do it. There are those who believe that Mountbatten was killed to shut him up. Yeah. You know, you, know, you rabbit hole. Me. Rabbit hole after rabbit hole, John. 
Yeah. They never end, do they? And eventually you just tear, I don't have any hair. But if you did, yeah. you'd be tearing it out going, I mean, where does, uh, does this all end? Before I move on and take another call, my friend, we've been opining on what might be coming our way this particular winter. When, when we spoke last year, you told me that the authorities in your part of the world, they were pretty Nazi-esque when it came to the COVID restrictions, were they? Yeah. Yeah. And what about this fact, year? I, yeah, sure, they're going ahead. No, no, I'm asking you, what, what, so what about this year? Would you expect then the, the same stories to resurface this year? The hospitals are filling up, therefore we need to wear the masks and socially distance. Do you worry about, do you think about that? Oh, I, I think it's, I think it's a, a foregone conclusion that they're going to, they're going to try something. Um, I mean, I have a doctor's appointment in a couple of hours here, and I know when I go down there, I'm going to have to wear a stupid bloody mask, and that really pisses me off. It really does. I just feel like saying, well, look, all the rest of you are wearing masks. You're behind a glass screen. What the hell do you think is going to happen with me standing here? <laughs> it's, it's the stupidity of it that annoys the shit out of me, Richard. Yeah, it's stupid, it's arbitrary, it's childish. And there is a... I, I'm loquacious, as are you, my good friend. So, so I do initiate conversations with people, perfect strangers. I never tell them that I have any real interest in any of this. You know, I'm just the, the regular guy with the dogs. And I ask them about it. You know, you know, would you wear the masks again this winter? I've been asking people this. And some of those that were pretty, you know, who adhered to the stuff pretty rigidly, have been saying, well, I don't know about that now. You know, I'm not sure I'm prepared to go through that again. And uh, and I've been looking it up and I did read somewhere that the masks really couldn't stop very much. And one guy said to me, I was delighted, it was a hallelujah moment because we often say this on this show. One guy said to me, come here, he said, you know, I read that a sneeze travels about 30 metres or 30 feet. <laughs> so he said, what the fuck was all this social distancing two metres about then? <laughs> and I, so I never give the answer. I never give the answer ever. I, so I always say, "What do you think?" And he said, "Well, it sounds like bollocks." I said, "It might be then. It might be bollocks if if they say stand two meters away from the nearest person, yet a sneeze or a cough travels thirty meters and travels at a couple of hundred miles an hour." Yeah, you know, Richie. So, let, let me just go ahead, John. One thing you've been very generous with your time, but. Uh, I know you're a fan of Mike Rivero, yeah? I like Mike, yeah. Fan is a very yeah. big word. I like him. Okay. Um, well, I don't know how often you get to listen to his show, but I, I listen to the second hour of his show every day just to listen to his callers. To, cause, to quote that line from that movie that Howard Stern made, um, why, why do so many people listen to this guy and the producer says to hear what he's going to say next? Well, I listen to this guy to listen to these callers, and it's the same bloody callers he has every day. I swear to God, it's the same callers every day, and some of them, I've even heard them, because since you've been off the air, I've been listening to a couple of other shows on RBN, and just, it's the same guys call in, and it does my head in. <laughs> and I was just listening to what you were saying yesterday about how you're, how you're seeing the future of the show. I would, I would kind of plead with you, if you could have a phone in, maybe once a week for a while, because as you said a moment ago, how's, how's the next few months going to play out with these guys? And I'd be very interested to hear other people's opinions and maybe they're hearing stuff that we're not hearing and we can all 
you know, can have a discussion about this so that we we're getting a better picture, a bigger picture of what's yeah, going on. It sounds good to me. The, the great thing about the phone in here is we're 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 blessed that we don't hear from the same people every time. Thank God for that. Um, but but that that's just a bit of production, really. It's 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 bad production. I wouldn't blame Michael for that. But his producer is terrible. If he keeps putting the same people on the air every day, that's just terrible. I mean, nobody well, wants he's to hear his own that. Producer. Is he? He doesn't have a producer. Yeah. Right. Welcome to the club, Michael. Anyway, yeah. John. Thanks for that, buddy. Great to hear from you in Austin. I have no doubt we'll be speaking again in the not-too-distant future. Mind yourself, pal. All the best, mate. Bye, John. John, in Austin, in Texas. I'm going to take a tune. When we come back, we're going to have Yvonne on the line. This is the Richie Allen Show. It's your Richie Allen Show, yours and yours alone. Broadcasting live from BBG Towers here in the heart of Salford. The only man-made object that can be seen from the moon. Well, I quit my job. Guitar man. It's gone right out of my head, sorry. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now and with free two-day track delivery. Wonderful. Now I want you to call me and I want you to call me now. Here are the details. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And if you mess up the call, if you behave badly, you remember one thing you screw up just this much, you'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. So don't push me. Let's get Yvonne on the line. Uh, 0161818 that's the phone number chat with Richie is the Skype handle it's your Richie Allen show 6 minutes past 6 this Wednesday October 19th 2022 that's the year of our Lord Yvonne welcome back how are you are you well I am wonderful but even better now that you're back It's uh, it's been a long time since you and I spoke <laughs> Yvonne so t- pray tell how that would be Yvonne right I just, you've answered my question Yvonne Yvonne. We. Oui. Yvonne. That's how, that's how the French would pronounce it. Yvonne. All right. Well, it's Ray better Vaughan. than the Americans. Ray Yvonne. Vaughan. It's like, no, my Yvonne. name is not supposed to rhyme with yogurt. We love the Americans. We have a beautiful, <laughs> we have a beautiful Irish name called Neve. You will have heard this before. It is spelled N-I-M-H. And, uh, yes, I have a friend from Ireland who named her daughter that. And Niamh. she lives in the Netherlands. Beautiful. So... You know, none of those teachers will ever know how to pronounce her Never. I work with Eve. She does not know what torture she's putting her kid through. No, they haven't a clue. I worked with a <laughs> Neve at Waterford Crystal many years ago. We all had name badges, so the Americans would usually say Neem or Niami. Niami. It's Neve, but then you can't expect them to understand it. We have a lovely name called Aoife. That's A-O-I-F-E. Aoife, it's a beautiful name, very historical name. The Yanks would say Aofi. <gasps> And all sorts of mad stuff, but then God love them. Um, it's been a long time. How are you? How have you summered? 
Uh, well, I had to take a break from you because you forced us with your keyboard problems. Yeah, yeah. Blew it up. So, yeah, you blew it up. You blew, blew it, it up. up. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, you know, Armageddon and then from the ashes, the phoenix comes back again. So there you are, you know? You've given me an opportunity because I, I get a lot of this. Why did you do it? See, people never understand. Why, why did you do it? Why did you take something that worked well and and change it? And the short answer is... Because I was fed up and I needed something to change. So I, I got a big sophisticated system that didn't work and then I got another one and the other one does work and that's why it was two months. So I, I just blew it up. I, it's, it's my personality. When, when everything no, is... No, I totally yeah. get it. My yeah. husband is that way with guitars. You know, he loves his guitars and at some point when he studies, you know, he puts effort into it just like you do with your craft. And it's it's like, okay, I get it, fine, get that guitar, you know, okay, dip into the pot and get the guitar, and then he's happy again for, you know, it, it inspires him because he listens to new music and puts new tunes together. So he also, you know, puts tunes together. So, yeah. Man so I totally get it. And I also knew you would always come back because I'm sure... La Francoise would not, La Française, I should say, would not let you come, you know, do this in your studio and then not come back. Yeah, and I'm not a lawyer. She would have at so least told you, you have to try it back. for a week. Yes, for you a know, week. That's how I am, you know, <laughs> try it for a week. We're not there if yet. you don't like that broccoli, then okay. That's you know? right. I like it. Now, <laughs> where, where are we? Where, where are we at the moment? We, we, cost of living crisis, wars in Ukraine, energy bills, you know, diesel and petrol bills, the looming specter of oh. COVID in the winter. Is it all doom and gloom or, or what? How do you see this relentless misery on the We're news? We're going to get a shitstorm avalanche pouring over us. But if you think of it as fertilizer then, you know, it'll all come out okay. You know, do something for yourself. In my case, you know, I took the time in the summer to, because I didn't have you to listen to. I don't want to blame you. But, uh, you know, I started looking up how do I grow things from seeds? How do I do plants? How do I grow herbs? Uh, do things for yourself that, that are like a little positive step. No, it's not going to fix everything. You know, it's not going to fix a geopolitical situation. But at the end of the day, how much control do we have over that anyway? We only have control over our own situation. So make your own day happy. You what know, did I mean, you my find? husband skinny. He was fat. I mean, he's going to hear this later <laughs> and probably laugh. Well, you, you, you know, it's pretty blunt that my, my husband's skinny. He was fat. Not not a case of my husband. Well, you, you tell us to keep it short. What do you want? No, me to no. Do? But, you know, yeah. there's a diplomatic way of putting that. My husband needed to lose a few pounds and he did. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's not as much fun saying it. No, it isn't. So what did you find when you began going down again the rabbit hole of seed planting? What did you discover? What have you done? Uh, I now have uh, some berry bushes, some herbs and things like that. But that's just my side hobby. But on the other end, I'm still continuing my reading and I'm really into the terrain theory. Uh, 
There's a new paper out by Dr. Mark Bailey I haven't had a chance to read yet, but maybe some of your listeners have heard of Dr. Sam Bailey from New Zealand, and they've basically overturned the whole virus theory. And But have they really? Yep. Hang on there now, Miss mm-hmm. Yvon. Hang on there now. <laughs> Isn't there a danger that even somebody who is obviously bright as you are, no, again, no patronising here at all, and isn't there a danger for someone like me that we stumble into the trap of confirmation bias? That we eventually start looking for that which confirms the thing which we believe to be true. I get a lot of this stuff sent to me about terrain theory and I'm very open-minded to it. I don't know the answer, but I equally get stuff sent to me from nice people who say, well, no, germs are real, Richie. And here's well, why they are, are real. Okay, but, but, okay. Yeah. but germs is like an American term. I remember when we moved to America, my mother said, why do they call everything germs? You know, it's either bacteria or fungus or this or that. The Americans lump everything into the germ thing. And that's just a very easy term to use for any, you know, kind of thing. And again, remember, it's a theory. Also, germ theory is a theory. Never been proven. Darwin theory. Never been proven. Um, Yes, fair enough. And actually, I was very much into uh, all of the, I wanted to become a doctor. So I totally believed in viruses and bacteria and all that kind of thing. But why can't these theories, let me ask you a question, so so Mm. I'll shut up then. Why can't the, you know, seemingly competitive theories, why can they not coexist? Why, why is, you see, I do not believe that viruses don't exist. I do not believe that germ, airborne germs don't cause your problems. And again, like I said to, to, to a caller earlier, uh, Wayne, I think, I say this based on my own personal experiences. I'm guaranteed to get a cold in a room full of people with colds. And it doesn't mean I'm eating the same sandwiches or I'm eating out of the same fridge or I'm using the same toilet. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not as simplistic as that. It would. You could make that argument if you get it, you know, in the home, in 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 the home place, for want of a better way of putting it. So I believe that airborne viruses are real. That's my opinion. I I can't prove it, but I also am wide open to the possibility that the environment, uh, you know, and we could talk about lots of environmental toxins. We could talk about Wi-Fi radiation and all of that. I'm wide open to that stuff having a big impact on my health as well. So I just asked the question in a very long-winded way. Why can't both be true? Um, well, in the way you describe it, yes, it can both be true. But I think words are our enemy sometimes, you know, just like when we use the word germ. It's, it's a non-scientific term for a non-entity. It doesn't exist. Show me a germ, please. You know, bacteria you can see with microscopes. Viruses you cannot you know, the whole field of virology is, is on very, very shaky ground um, because they, could, they have never, ever isolated any virus. That much I've learned over the summer. They've never actually isolated a virus. And what they have done, for example, with the COVID virus, quote unquote, uh, it was delivered from China and silico, which basically means as a computer science model. And I started digging deeper into that, and I came on the field of bioinformatics. So it's a little bit like, you know, computer science when you study that in college or university. 
um, it's like a field, you know, a very narrow window of something. And bioinformatics is basically the combination of biology uh, with information technology. So what they do is they take a snippet of something, you know, translate it to a computer and they say, ah, okay, it matches because computers do a great job calculating things very quickly with many, many variables. But it doesn't mean that it's actually true in an actual human being. Yes, it's true in modeling and it's true in, you know, creating theories and all that kind of thing. But it's actually true in real life. So it's, it's like a question between humanity and the computer science field. Now, you say that viruses have never, have never been isolated, yet there are at least a dozen or two dozen. What we let call me, Hang viruses. on, hang, let, me fin- we, let me yeah. finish my yeah. I've got to say this, I've got to say this. Um, I saw the papers which mm. that came out of the, I can't remember the exact US university, but the papers that said, right, we've isolated COVID-19, here it is. And that documentation was shared, presumably with universities in, in England and in France and elsewhere. And then you get other scientists saying, yes, they isolated COVID-19. Uh, we saw it, we have the, the samples or whatever. Now, I have to say that because that's what they say. I'm not saying that I know th- them to be telling the truth, but I'm saying that the claim is they isolated this thing and based on that, They've sequenced it, and based on that, they've come up with treatments for it. I've got to do my job. I don't know any better than that. No, and, and, yeah. and I'm still searching, and I'm digging. But I, I I think still, again, that words are enemy. You know, so we're, we're splicing and splicing the words, and it might just mean a slightly different shade to you than it means to me, you know. So you can do this all day long. Yeah. The point is, is that, there's no virus. The thing is with germs, it's not a good term to use for any of this. Yes, they do say we have trillions of viruses in our bodies and they, li- they co- coexist with us. Fungi. You know, fungi you can see with the microscope. Yeah, bacteria, bacteria too, yeah. you can see with the microscope. Viruses you cannot. What they call viruses you cannot. So a virus is like a definition. They say, okay, virus looks like Blue, red, and green. So then they say, okay, there's a new variation. Blue, green, and yellow. So what China presented, what they said was isolated, that was the sample, was N. silico. So that's, N. silico is, is like a, uh, a nice term to give anything that's just basically a computer formula, a computer equation. So that equation... As in algebra, you know, you equate it to something else. You do exercises with that in school. So it's only a representative. I mean, what you see on the news, the picture with the spikes, with the little suction cups, you know. Um, that is an artist's it, illustration. It's, it's an isn't art. It? I mean, yeah. it's not, this is not an actual depiction of any virus. We assume that viruses exist all over us and that they're crawling and there's trillions of them in our bodies anyway. So why don't those other trillions make make us sick? And to your question, my thought about why you get sick around sick people is because you're a very empathetic person. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, come on, really? 
Yeah, I, I, it's it's been said to me before, but those symptoms are real. Oh, maybe they're right. Maybe are they wiser right. than me? No, they're Put and me in touch. and I'm not wiser than them either. But but I'm saying those symptoms are are really real. I mean that is some empathy that you know when you've got green snot and on your chest and you've got a temperature of 105. I mean that is I mean, if that's empathy, I'm a saint. <laughs> Well, I should you be canonized. Be, you know, maybe we'll, you know there'll be just some next to Jesus in Brazil there'll be a statue of you. You know, I'm not taking the piss out <laughs> of you. Maybe like I'm, a head taller, uh, uh, exactly. Bald, bald is important. I'm not saying that. I, I'm not t- trying to dismiss out of hand what you're saying. I'm playing the other side of it. I don't know the answer. No, to I play. Of these I, things. I play that game all night long. So yeah. it's it's fun to actually have a human person to do it. It is, and we don't fall out and start screaming at one another. <laughs> But but the thing about January 2020, that will stay with me until the day I die. That wasn't any ordinary illness, that. It was no, not. And, and to be honest, I was sick yeah. in end of January, you know, so you had it, what, in December? I had it in January. Yeah. You said December. Right? Yeah, I think Wayne had it in, yes, no, I had it in January, so it would have been late December, early January. Wayne had it late 2019, I think, he said, it seems there is a period around November 2019 to late January 2020, when a lot of people in Europe experienced, as far as they felt it, the worst dose they ever had in their lives. A lot of people, yeah. Now, I I, I will, I I submit to that. I, I had something very similar. My daughter did as well. My husband did not. Um, but, uh, I had it, and I was actually laid on the sofa for three days, and I'm not that type. I'm the one always making my own cups of tea. I was actually begging people passing by, you know, please make me a cup of tea. Um, No, so there was something in the air. But what was it? You know, was it, you know, toxins in the air that they spray every crop with something? We don't know. No, I wouldn't dismiss any of that. My my engineer, Paul Ripley, is listening to this. He doesn't often listen because he thinks the the show is garbage, to his credit. He has no interest (laughs) in it. But he's listening. At least he makes it Oh, he thinks it's rubbish. He he makes it work, Paul, but but he thinks it's rubbish. Uh, And that's very, just like Hayden Hewitt as well. Hayden helps with the website, (laughs) but he hates the show just as much, which uh, which I love them both for. Paul's son is is a grown man, and he had this around January 2020 and he was gravely ill as well. So there is a, a lot of that. And I, I, yes, you know, but that doesn't mean that it's, a, but that doesn't mean it's a virus. It just means you got gravely ill. You yeah. might've had a poison. There may have been something in the air sprayed on purpose or by accident or a combination thereof, or, you know, you're already asthmatic this yeah. or that, whatever your weakness is, it's going to, it's going to express itself. One of the it's reasons, like, sorry, sorry, Yvonne, one of the reasons my, my, my pals think the show is garbage and, and I'm garbage is because I am a proponent of the theory that governments or agents of governments have been spraying our skies for many, many years. Now, my mates think I'm crackers for even entertaining such a notion, but I believe it to be true, not because I want to believe it to be true, because I've had whistleblowers on the programme over the years who've admitted that this stuff has been going on. So we're talking, you know this, uh, heavy metals in the sky, geoengineering, yes. what have you. Yeah. It, Of course, therefore, must be a possibility that yes. something could be sprayed into the atmosphere that would 
induce in the population a, a response and the response might be people becoming gravely ill. I, I'm open-minded to everything. I don't nail my, you know, opinions to any to any one master I really don't I've got to take John Heffernan on the, on the line in a moment before I do that though do you want a, a final thought there it's been it's been a good back and forth yeah yeah I love you for that uh, I do want to tell you that um, Van Gogh is that how it is Van Gogh yes Van Gogh Gogh yeah pretend you have two cats and they both have a furball ah Van Gogh and you have an O in between. What did you think of those scruffy bastards throwing a can of soup or whatever it was onto his painting? I mean, that you've got to deal with that very severely, don't you? I mean, billy clubs around the back of the head, like. Maybe well, I'm being a know, bit... Yeah. But, th- but that's just the absurdity of life, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's that's basically just... It, yeah, it's something to talk about in the news. Oh, it sounds awful. I mean, yeah, he made some nice paintings. But you know what? If I had all those paints... Maybe I could have created that. Maybe you could have. Yeah, not me. I can say that <laughs> straight up. I still have a paint-by-numbers colouring book, which I <laughs> jump into every now and then. Yvonne, absolute Welcome pleasure back, as always. Richie, Thank you very hello much. hello to everyone listening out there. And I the best, the best the to hobby. Comment. I want to just address your hobby who will be listening to the podcast later <laughs> on. Listen, be a man. Don't let any woman fat shame you. <laughs> Don't put up with it. No, he's so happy now. <laughs> he's thanking me, you know. Thank you for making me skinny. Give over. <laughs> Mind yourself when we speak again soon. That's Yvonne. Lovely to hear from Yvonne. She's in Spain, believe it or not. And John's been trying to get through for some time. Let's have a chat with John. He's unavailable, is he? Oh, he's trying to ring me. That's it. Um, John, before we say hello to John, John, you park yourself there now. You're in the system nice and, and comfortably. I've got to read a couple of comments in or on the website. Uh, Millie says, end games. End games. What a good time to be alive, says Millie. Uh, Patricia says, as far as masks go, and this is true, by the way, she's right to publish this. The US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention lied about masks effectiveness when the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Valensky, tweeted, masks can help reduce your chance of COVID-19 infection by more than 80%. Now, she didn't give a reference for her claim, but a large study from researchers at Yale, Stanford and the University of California, Berkeley, found much less impressive results from masks. They found these Ivy League universities that wearing a face mask carries inherent risks, including the growth of antibiotic-resistant bacteria, oxygen deprivation, psychological effects and more. Experts argue that while doing little to protect your health and instead harming it, face mask mandates fashion the, cit- fashion the citizenry as slaves and in fact act as symbols of enslavement. Thanks uh, so much for that, Patricia. To leave a comment on the website, go to richieallen.co.uk and it is comment live. Lots and lots of comments, uh, dozens of them in fact, on the uh, website today. Let's, uh, let's even say hi to John Heffernan. Hello, John. Hello, Rich. How are you keeping? It's great, buddy. I I didn't look this up now, so don't think I'm I'm showing off, but I, I do have a decent enough memory. I reckon it's about a year since we last spoke. Thereabouts. It's there thereabouts, yeah. It's been about yeah, a year. I'll give it we'll give it the year. We'll just I say it's in, about in a case year. there's an argument, we'll say the year. Welcome back, buddy. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Just a couple of a couple of small things there, Richie. Um 
I was basically following while you were off. I went down. I kind of went down a couple of roads, looking into little rabbit holes and things like that. You know, and I quickly backed out because there is a lot of there is a lot of foolish things out there. You know, from both sides of the camp. Like, but um, what kind of stuck in my mind was um, uh, that guy. He's is he Mick Lynch? That's over the union. Yes, the RMT union. The RMT unit, boss. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. So he got a hold of the media, basically. And he ripped each and every one of them a new backside. Yeah, he did. Uh, and, and, and your buddy, the Ginger Ninja, um, he basically, you know, he, he just turned these people upside down. He gave her a chase, you know, didn't he, John? Yeah, like, and what he said was, Richard, what stuck with me was, what he said was, and it, uh, this is a couple of months ago, he goes, it's, the, the problem is, is our lack of ability to get organised quickly. There is a reason for that. There is a reason for that. Can I, can I give like, the legal so, reason? Can I give the legal reason? Because it started with Margaret Thatcher's government and it continued through Major and Blair. Yeah. Un, unions have been under the jackboot for 35, 40 years. And I think when they, when they managed to ban sympathy strikes, John, that was a huge blow. And I don't know what unions could have done at the time to prevent that. But but they didn't do anything to stop it. Sympathy strikes are ultimately a great tool. That's I don't have to tell you what this means, but just in case our listeners don't know, if I'm working in the NHS as a porter, and John here on the line is a train driver, if John is getting screwed to the wall by his employers, I and my porter workers in the hospital, we get to go out on strike in solidarity with John. And we get to bring the system to a standstill until they give us what we want, which is just fair pay and conditions. But that's why, and I'm surprised that Lynch doesn't talk about this, or at least it isn't put to him by people when he's on TV. Sympathy strikes and uh, going out in solidarity with people in a different industry, John. Surely that, you know, was a big deal when they removed people's rights to do that. Hugely, yeah, of course. And now that you have to go, you have to go to court to go on strike, you know, and you have to be very careful in, in how you approach these things, though, because if if anything happens, the union could be taken to court and cleaned out, you know. But what, what I was trying to get at was that the lack of, or, or, like, what, what he said was that is our inability to organise quickly. Because I think, I think, like you said it before, these phones are Trojan horses. They yeah. are dumbing down the nation quicker than any vaccine has ever done it. That's really interesting. The phone is dumbing down. Again, there were stories again in the broadsheet media this week about the attention span and the ability of children to learn and how it's being impacted negatively by their constant using of, of uh, smartphones. And, and you just obviously mentioned you know, this idea... Again, there's a story in the press today about Google being in trouble because Google has been telling people that if they choose an incognito mode or something like that, nobody will be able to spy on what they're doing. But Google has had to admit that this is nonsense, that people are being spied on anyway, even when they go incognito. So if you're carrying phones around and you're trying to mobilise people to take action against, you know, injustice... Well, you're wasting your time, uh, John, because that's being monitored, isn't it? 24-7, surely? Yeah. Um, like, there are two or three steps ahead of us at the moment. But I think more and more people are starting to wake up to these phones. I think I think they're the, probably the biggest distraction in people's lives at the moment, you know. Um, 
they just seem to be every place I look now, there's someone looking down. And I, I'm guilty for myself from time to time, but every time every I look around, like you could be going, you could be going to town or something like that. There could be this beautiful sunset. You'll walk past these kids, and every one of them could be looking down at the phone. Like yeah, they're just yeah. they're like trained puppies, you know. I run past tram stops, two or three, four maybe, on my daily jog or crawl these days, and pretty much most, it would be wrong for me to say everyone, but most people waiting for the tram have their heads buried in a phone. And I think back to, you know, waiting for buses when I was a younger man in a bus shelter when it was cold and wet. You were chatting with people. You were chatting with them. Even if it was as banal as the weather, you were actually having a conversation, but buried in their phones, John. Yeah, but you were like, in those conversations, you were getting the feel of the nation. You were getting the feel of the people on the ground. You know, you'd start off with the weather and then you'd, you know, it would go from there. A polite conversation, of course, all the way, but you'd always get little nuggets of information. And same with, with going to a bar. You know, you go into a bar now and sometimes, not all bars now, but a lot of them have these phones, you know. But bars are excellent places to, you know, find little bits of information. I, I, you know, if you had a little, if something, a job to do at home or, you know, do you know a guy that could do this and do that? It's the art of conversation that these phones are robbing people of. You're you right, know, you right look it. someone in the eye, have a conversation with them. And you're, yeah. You're right about you know, the pub. You, you're really connection. Absolutely right. I, I, at least twice over the years, I got work out of being in a pub. You know, work work that I needed. Uh, at least twice. Maybe twice. Maybe just twice. You're right. And that thing about going in to the pub to have a pint. You, you know, people years ago didn't go into the pub to get pissed. They went in for one or two after work or they went in on a Friday night. And you're right, John, it was a case of can't get anybody to fix me boiler. You don't want to get fleeced, right? So you don't want to go to British Gas or, or somebody else. I, I can't get somebody to, to fix me boiler. Jimmy will do it. Jimmy, over here, chap here needs his boiler done. Here, job done, 20, 25 quid job done. You're right. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah, like, it's, 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 you, like I always say, you, I, I've never gone to the pub because I was thirsty. It's the social aspect of it. You can go to the fridge and get a drink if you're thirsty. The beer is a very small part of it. What the guy hands you from behind the counter is a very small part of what a pub is. It's companionship. It's an energetic it's companionship. exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think, I, and that, and talking to people as well is a huge thing, like, you know. Can I, the can I, conversation, the can, conversation. Can I depress is, you? Is, is, can I depress you? I don't want to. A number of representatives of landlords in this country and I don't think they're lying, I really don't because the cost of living crisis is a real thing, whatever the reason for it. number of groups representing pub owners and landlords, wait for this John this week on British television were, were mooting the possibility of pubs going into hibernation over the winter closing down in November and reopening in February or March when they can pay their heating bills. That's that's real. Yeah, yeah, with fairness, yeah, but there's plenty of money for the war in Ukraine, though. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's plenty of money for the war in Ukraine. We can send them over arms to be, you know, arms by, by the plane load. But, like, the guys that are keeping keeping the working man sane for a couple of pints, uh, they'll, have, they'll just have to sit and wait, do you know? There was a guy nearly crying. He's got a pub in Wales and he said, as it stands, I can't pay the 
electricity and gas and I can't pay the Sky Sports subscription premium. Pubs get charged thousands for showing the football. He said, I, I really only do really well on the days that there are big football matches. He said, I'm screwed. I'm definitely going to go. To survive it all, I've got to go in November and come back, you know, in the spring. And I thought, I, I, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And yet I was listening to it. And I wonder about the local pubs around me here in Salford. Will that be the case? Will I not be in a position to say to uh, to the missus, you know, because I do like a pint of stout, like I like a pint of Guinness, so I'm going to go up the road now just to have one. And I would only have one. I'd only have one. I'd sit down and have one and I'd come back. But I might spend an hour there having the one and just having a chat. Uh, that might be off limits in, in, in the next few weeks. But you're bang on about the phones. You're bang on about the pubs. John, is there something else, mate, before um, before I swiftly move on? Lovely to connect with you again, by the way. No problem at all, Rich. You know I keep it short and sweet. There's much foreplay with me. I just get on with the job and get it done. But um, congrats on the new studio, and you were missed. And it's nice to have you back. And, you know, um, we, we'll get there. Don't worry, we'll get there. In the end. Thanks, John. Lovely, lovely of you to say that. Nice. Thanks for the kind words. That was John there. So I'm going to read a few comments now on the website because I said I would do that. And then... I am going to take my leave of you today. Uh, back tomorrow with guests. I'm pretty sure we have guests tomorrow. I explained all this last night on the programme. There will be guests many evenings. On other evenings there won't be. I'll just chat away with you. And that's to keep me sane. I will be doing regular phone-ins. They will be regular. As they... I mean, I was doing them every two weeks previously. We might make them a bit more frequently. We'll see how it goes. But there will be... There will be... um phone-ins, don't worry about that. I love the phone-ins. No, I really love the phone-ins. It's the greatest thing about doing radio. When I first got into radio, it was wonderful. You know, this this thing of people phoning in from around the city, having a chat with you. People you might know, people you might not know. There's no, nothing better. It's an easy gig and a very enjoyable gig when you do a phone-in. So plenty of them, of course, coming up. Fran says, there are a lot of lovely pubs here in Wales in deep, deep water now, says Fran, it is heartbreaking. Leslie says, Richie, according to WhatsApp, all messages are encrypted. Not even WhatsApp knows what you write. Yet, I get many messages saying, this message has been forwarded many times. How the feck do they know if it is encrypted? Leslie, I don't know the answer to that because I'm not techie. But I imagine there must be a way where they know that a message of yours has been shared by someone without them actually seeing it. They might get the algorithm that shows the message has moved forward without seeing the actual message itself. But listen, take that with, 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 a, with a huge pinch of salt because I know nothing about tech. Keeley says, I agree with John on the phones. Living in London and watching everyone around me on public transport glued to their phones reminds me of The Matrix's Keeley. Uh, herself says from what I've heard I believe it was a military grade psychological operation people who are vulnerable to COVID this is the obese those full of toxins those with comorbidities were made very ill by electromagnetic radiation from the newly rolled out towers that's according to herself it's a long message it's interesting you can read it at richieallen.co.uk I've heard quite a bit of that in the last couple of years from people and again I don't know any difference, so I'm wide open to that. Uh, Pandora says, can't verify this, but Rivan Hoch 
and his sunflowers spoiling. That's the, the soup thrown or the paint, whatever it was, thrown by the Just Stop Oil people at the sunflowers painting. It was suggested to me, says Pandora, that it had been privately purpose, purchased even uh, by new uh, and privately purchased to new hands. Okay, this makes me suspect an insurance job with a swapped forgery hung in the gallery for those Muppets with soup to sabotage. Thank you so much for that, Pandora. Let's scroll on back, because I've uh, missed quite a few. Tony says, people must open their minds to the possibility that pathogenic viruses do not exist, and they must start questioning more, because for as long as the majority of people believe in viruses and contagion, these crooks will keep repeating the same crap and you will not have any kind of life worth living, says Tony. Okay, thank you, Tony. Uh, I don't know any different, but I I lean to, I lean towards viruses and germs being real. That's where I lean. But I must be a shill. I must be, because I don't agree with everybody. I, I don't have any answers. My pal Dean Smith says, she's effing right, Richie. He means Yvonne. You get sick because of sympathy. It happens to me all the time. She is right, says Dean. Chris says, I had the COVIDs in November, December even 2019. Two nights covered in sweat. My immune system obviously recognised it and bosh, goodbye COVID. I had SARS in the early 2000s. I must have had immunity. That's Chris's opinion anyway. Kenner says the US government did a study that is public now. It was to prove how the Spanish flu is transmitted. The results were inconclusive. Certain people could not get it. Certain others couldn't transfer it. Thank you, Kenner. Lovely to hear from you. Aaron John says, how would a mask work in stopping transmission when a mask will only stop pathogens the size of 0.3 microns, which would be bacteria, whereas a viral pathogen in question, like SARS, is 0.6 microns. You may as well just wear a wire mesh on your face. It's doing exactly the same. Feck all. And I concur with Aaron or Aaron John. No doubt about that. Thank you so much for listening to Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. It's an hour and 45 minutes tonight. Not an hour and a half as I thought it might be. Uh, thanks for listening. This will be on Podomatic, iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers right soon. Thanks so much to all the callers. Uh, it was a lovely, it was a pleasure listening to every one of you. Back tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time. Until then, from me, the BBG, it's bye for now. Leaving you with the Kings of Leon and a beautiful song called Back Down South. This from an album called Come Round Sundown, which happens to be one of my favourite albums of all time. It's an easy listening masterpiece. Bye for now, bye now.